Tonight, I want to uh, address a topic, and really, tonight is more kind of uh, family time. Um, we are going to look at some, some scripture together, we'll look at a few passages, but uh, I've been doing uh, reading and listening in the area I'm going to cover tonight, and just look at it this way of uh, some things that I've really been impressed upon, even in my own life, uh, to work on. Um, but also just to try to encourage all of us to think about uh, what's taking place around us and how uh, we can help one another. Um, let me ask you, how many of you in here were born after 1994? Let me see your hand. You were born after 1994. Okay, good number, all right? After 1994, all right. Do you know what you are? If you're born after 1994, you are, according to a guy named Mark Prinsky in 2001, he's a sociologist, and he coined this term, you're born after 1994, you are a digital native. Digital native. What is a native? All right, you're thinking of the people that go around scalping people, okay? Don't, uh, don't think that, all right? Digital native just means that you have grown up in an environment where all you've known is digital technology. Um, I was made uh, quickly aware of this when it was uh, several years ago, over 10 years ago probably, we, we took a, a group of young people on a mission team to Nova Scotia, and they had to stay in this uh, little house that they had up there for... Uh, some missionaries, and when we went into the house, I was with these young people who were born after 1994, and we go into the house, and there's this thing sitting on the desk, and it's got a receiver, and it's got a wire, and it's got this little dial on it that you do this with it, and one of the young people walked in there and literally did this. What is that? Just never seen that in my life, Okay. And some of you, born after 1994, are still wondering what that is, right? Okay? It was an old telephone. Okay? Now, the rest of us, you were born before 1994, correct? Okay? You know what you are? You are, if you're not a native, you're a what? You are a digital immigrant. Okay, what is an immigrant? An immigrant is somebody who lives in one country and they, they move to another space, another location. They immigrate into the U.S. or whatever. You are a digital immigrant because you remember a time before we had all the technology in your pocket and even the Internet. And... Uh, so, so you have actually immigrated into this new age in which we live, and, and you're still catching up, right? You're still kind of getting used to this new land in which we live, all right? Uh, let me give you an example of, of the difference that makes. I want to talk to you tonight about being uh, relationally wired, and uh, we talked about these terms, digital native versus digital immigrant. By the way, I chose the, the year 1994, you could fudge on that a little bit, but I chose that because the significant event of 1994 was that was when the first smartphone was introduced, 
1994. So you could probably fudge on that date a little bit, but, but you get the point, all right? Digital natives and digital immigrants. If you were born before or after those dates, there are different worlds and they change how we interact with each other. Here's one example. Somebody wrote this. This occurs in 2015. I'm meeting my friend at 1 o'clock. It's 5 past. I could give her longer, but I can also just text her to find out right now where she is. What's the holdup? Is she running late? I reach into my bag, and an involuntary wave of anxiety hits me. I've left my phone at home. I start thinking, how long should I wait? What if she's really late? What if she's gone to the wrong place? What if she's here, but we can't see each other? What if she's trying to call right now? How can, I start to, how can I start to get in touch with her? I don't memorize her phone number anymore. I need an internet connection. Maybe I can get on Facebook and message her. Where's the nearest Apple store? Internet cafe. Suddenly at 125, she taps me on the shoulder and makes me jump. That's 2015, all right? Here's a similar scenario in 1996. I'm meeting my friend at 1 o'clock. I sit outside the bus station reading a book, waiting for the bus to get in. It's 5 past. It doesn't even occur to me to start wondering where she is. I check my watch after a chapter. 15 minutes past. I figure, eh, she's missed one bus. She'll probably get on the next one. I calculate that she'll arrive sometime around 1.30 or so at the latest. And if she's not here by then, I'll go to a payphone put in a dime, and ring her mom's house and see if she's left. I go back to my book. At 125, she taps me on the shoulder and makes me jump. See the difference? One is the always connected kind of panic. If I can't have immediate access to information right now, I get a little bit anxious about it. The other without that possibility was, hey, things like that happen. I'm not going to fret too much over it unless I have reason to find out otherwise. This is the difference between digital natives and digital immigrants. Think about it. When, when you were, were growing up, and, uh, and let me just say this, I'm not talking down to digital natives tonight, okay? I just want to make that very clear. Uh, but we're just kind of comparing and contrasting some things. Um, when, when I was growing up, I was born well before 1994, and when I was growing up, the, the big deal for me as a teenager was I can't wait to be 16. Do you know why? What happened at 16? And I got my, my license. And that was a sense of freedom. Because now I can get in my car and go hang out with my friends. And I would know where they were playing basketball, and we would show up together, and that's the way we would spend our, most of our waking hours. And that was just the way it was. That, that was the idea of, of freedom. Today, to kind of hang out with your friends, a car isn't needed. In fact, that can happen well before you drive. And in fact, statistics will tell you that, that young people are putting off driving until they're a lot older. Maybe that's a good thing, right? What do you need right now to hang out with friends? Internet connection, right? 
And that's happening earlier and earlier. And it's just, it's just, it's different worlds. The, the world has changed. Technology, technology has changed our world. And I want to speak to that tonight a little bit with regard to one thing that has come up as a result of technology. Now, I, I do want to mention tonight, I am not a Luddite. Do you know what a Luddite is? A Luddite has to do with a term that was used of English workers who actually destroyed machinery that was taking away their jobs in England. They didn't like the fact that there was this technology coming in and it was changing everything, so they decided we're just going to destroy the technology so we'll keep our jobs. And if you are down on technology and you're always saying technology is bad, you are coined a Luddite. All right? I'm not a Luddite. Um, I have a smartphone. I use it. I'm preaching from an iPad right now. Okay? Um, I use these tools. I'm, I, I don't use them probably as well as probably many of you, uh, but I'm not against them. However, uh, it is true, and not just my opinion, and in fact, not just even Christian people's opinion, but it is true that one entirely unexpected outcome of the advancement in this technology is that instead of it bringing people together, people are actually feeling more lonely and isolated because of it. And again, that's not just my assessment. Where do I get that? Well, just this year, 2023, do you know who this is? This is our Surgeon General, right? I had to look up his name. I didn't know who he was either. Uh, Dr. Vivek Murthy, all right? He's the U.S. Surgeon General, and he put out a Surgeon General advisory in just this year, a few months ago, actually, 2023, about our epidemic of loneliness and isolation. And here's what he says. Here's how he, how he introduces this advisory that he's putting out. He says, when I first took office as Surgeon General in 2014, that was his first time around. He's now been elected again, and he's our current Surgeon General again. I didn't view loneliness as a public health concern, but that was before I embarked on a cross-country listening tour where I heard stories from my fellow Americans that surprised me. People began to tell me they felt isolated, invisible, and insignificant. Even when they couldn't put their finger on the word lonely, time and time again, people of all ages and socioeconomic backgrounds from every corner of the country would tell me, I have to shoulder all of life's burdens by myself, or if I disappear tomorrow, no one would even notice. It was a light bulb moment for me. Social disconnection was far more common than I had realized. In the scientific literature, okay, he's saying this is his personal experience. Now he's saying when I read scientific literature about what's going on, he says, um, I found confirmation of what I was hearing. In recent years, about one in two adults in America reported experiencing loneliness. And that was before the pandemic cut off so many of us from friends, loved ones, and support systems. Loneliness is far more than just a bad feeling. It harms both individual and societal health. It is associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, stroke, depression, anxiety, and premature death. The mortality impact of being socially disconnected is similar to that caused by smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day and even greater than that associated with obesity and physical inactivity. 
And the harmful consequences of a society that lacks social connection can be felt in our schools, workplaces, civic organizations, where performance, productivity, and engagement are diminished. But here you have the Surgeon General, and he's saying, I've seen this, science backs it up, that we are in the midst of a loneliness epidemic. People are feeling more isolated and cut off from genuine relationship than ever before. Why is that the case? He gives us advisory, and he, he gives some ideas as to why this is the case. What do you think is one of the reasons he states? One of the reasons he states is this. Because of the impact of technology on social connection. Okay, he brings this up. He says there's a definite impact of the technology we're using today on social connection. And here's what he has to say. A variety of technologies have quickly and dramatically changed how we live, work, communicate, and socialize. These technologies include social media, smartphones, virtual reality, remote work, artificial intelligence, and assistive technologies, to name just a few. These technologies are pervasive in our lives. Nearly all teens and adults under 65 um, have these, and 75% of adults over 65 say that they frequently use these. He says, Americans spend an average of six hours per day on digital media. Americans on average. He says, one in three U.S. adults, 18 and over, report that they are online almost constantly. The percentage of teens ages 13 to 17 years who say they are almost constantly online has doubled since 2015. When looking at social media specifically, the percentage of U.S. adults 18 and over who report using social media increased from 5% in 2005. Okay, social media comes on the scene, 2005, there's 5% people that say they're engaged in that. To now, this was 2019 before the pandemic. What do you think that number went to? 80%. He says among teens 13 to 17 years, as of 2022, 95% say they are engaged in social media with more than half of those reporting, it would be very, very hard to give that up. He says this, several examples of harms of technology include this. Technology that displaces in-person engagement. In other words, if I'm using technology for all of my socializing and it's replacing a face-to-face, in-person engagement, the Surgeon General says that's harmful. He says, another reason for harm of technology is it monopolizes our attention. You're always connected, and you're always on it, and it demands your attention. Finally, he says, it reduces the quality of our interactions. Okay? So now I read something like that, and I read this post, and uh, we say, oh, yeah, I know. We, we should all throw these dumb phones away and, and go back to nothing. That's not going to happen, all right? And I'm not even suggesting that tonight. 
But I do want to let you know, we should all be aware of this, that, that these things are changing us. And you should at least be aware of it. So what does that mean? Well, it might mean something like this. I came across this recently. It says, finally, the fourth ape, he is the sum of the first three. He sees nobody, hears nobody, and speaks to nobody. Can you see that? The fourth ape's holding a cell phone. <laughs> all right. It's meant to be a joke to lighten the mood a little bit, okay? It's all right. I laughed when I saw it. I was hoping you would, all right? Is this... Is this true, right? Is this, is this what's going on, that, um, that, that this is the sole purpose, of uh, the sole reason for the loneliness of people? I don't think so, but I do think it is a contributor, all right? And that brings me to this. I, I listened to a couple of podcasts. Uh, it, was, it was a little while ago, but uh, very enlightening to me. One of them was, was entitled Scrolling Alone. And it was listing the effects of social media on young girls. And it, it talked about them scrolling through their feed or whatever and looking at that, but it was called scrolling alone. And the idea was, is that something that is intended to connect people and make them closer was actually isolating them and exacerbating the problem. There was a follow-up podcast to that uh, aimed at, at young men and what they were dealing with. And that one wasn't called scrolling alone. It was called gaming alone. And, and video games, and that's kind of a connection point for, for young men where they can you know, chat while they're doing this around the world. And, but it's alone. They're by themselves, and they're doing this. And what's intended maybe even to unite people actually isolates them. So is this what is taking place? Well, just ask yourself. You know, the next time you encounter a group of young people, digital natives, maybe in a restaurant, in the mall, somewhere you're watching them interact, observe their interactions and, uh, and see how much time they spend looking each other in the eye as opposed to looking at their phone. And I've tried to do this recently since I came across this and look, and, and it's startling. It really is. And by the way, it's true of a lot of adults too, right? Uh, it's true of a lot of people in church, right? I can't sit through a 45-minute service without, oh, my phone's buzzing, <laughs> okay? And, and I'm just stating the obvious, right? This stuff's changing us. Um, so we got to ask the question, well, is this just a horrible thing? And it sounds like I'm setting you up to to have a, let's have a phone burning session afterwards, right? They used to do like record burning things. We're going to do a phone burning session after in the, uh, yeah, somebody will dig all those out and sell them, I know. Um, again, I'm not saying that, all right? But here's where I want to go with this tonight, and, and we'll be brief. I'll probably finish early. How's that? Um, what does it take to defeat loneliness? How, how do we get out of this cycle, and how do I know that I'm, I'm, I'm building healthy relationships, and how do I help those under my care, whether it's your children or just those in my realm of influence, how do I help them in these areas? Because the, the statistics, I just gave you a few, but beyond that, they, they are frightening about uh, what's happening with, with the generation of digital natives that is being raised in our country. I want to give you four things tonight to think about, all right? 
four things. I'll list them for you on the screen, and uh, we'll discuss these. Number one, we need to understand this. God created us in his image as relational beings. We are relational beings. I know there are some of you here that say, well, actually, I would kind of like to be by myself on a hill somewhere, right? Or a lone cabin by a lake, all right? Well, the fact is, we are made in God's image, and therefore we are relational. How is God relational? Has God always been relational? Has he? How has God always been relational? In the Trinity. God is one in three persons that has always existed. And there has always been mutual love and relation in perfect harmony among the members of the Godhead. God himself is relational and as a result, God God spilled over, as it were, to extend that blessing to those made in his image. Now, we read in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, that God said it's not good that man should be alone. And we often look at that because that's a verse that talks about God making Eve, and we use this as the marriage verse, usually at a wedding or something like that. And that's certainly true. But the principle is, is true of all of us. It's not good to be alone. It doesn't mean everybody should be married to defeat that loneliness. Well, what it's saying is, is that, that we're all relational beings made in God's image. And God made us this way. And we should understand the importance of it. In fact, when people don't or choose not to, we say there's something psychotic about them. A hermit's life is not a normal life. There's a um, series on the History Channel, and um, I've seen a few of them, and uh, you'd have to watch them yourself to see if, if you would want to watch them. It's called Alone. And it's where they take people and they drop them off in remote places. I mean, they put them like up in the Arctic or you know, South America and Patagonia, and they drop like six or eight people off. Nobody's around them. They have their own camera equipment to kind of film what they're doing, and they're trying to see who can last the longest alone. So you have these survival people, you know, and I'm into all the survival they're doing and how they're, you know, uh, scrounging for things and figuring out stuff to eat and hunting things and but one of the things that always keeps coming back is it's not just the physical ability to survive by yourself in the wilderness. It's the mental anguish these people go through in utter isolation. And they say things like that. You know, this is really getting to me. I haven't seen another person in 45 days. And, and it wears on them. And this is all a part of of that isolation that they're trying to overcome just to outlast the other people. Why? Because God made us to be together. God made us not to be alone and isolated. We are relational beings made in God's image. Not only that, but secondly, I want you to understand this. We need relationships to fulfill our God-designed purpose. 
You see, God created us in his image as relational beings, but we also need relationships with people to fulfill the purpose for which we've been made. If you had to boil down your life to what God commands of you or what he wants you to do, could you boil it down to two simple things? You know where I'm going with that? Remember what Jesus said? Matthew 22. He said to him, Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, God, God made me in his image. I'm a relational being. I can relate to God spiritually being made in his image. That's a capacity for that. But God also says there's more than that I want you to do. I want you to love your neighbor. And in order to do that, you've got to have a what? A neighbor. It's impossible to do outside of your neighbor. Now, can you do that electronically? I would say yes to a degree. Have you ever texted someone a note of encouragement? You ever texted them a verse? You ever try to encourage them that way and reach out that way? You can do that to a degree. But the fact is, we all need relationships to fulfill our God-designed purpose, and no one is designed to be alone ranger as much as some may want to avoid it relationships are essential and so let me camp on this third point next all right we must work at healthy relationships to fulfill god's purpose work at healthy relationships by developing healthy relationships we actually reflect the image of god and fulfill God's intended purpose. So here's the question, what makes for a healthy relationship? How do you know if the relationship you have is healthy? I'm going to give you two things. There are other things we can include, but I want at least these two things as they relate to social media. What is a healthy relationship? A healthy relationship is built on authenticity. Being authentic. We almost would say being transparent. This is who I am. That would be face-to-face interaction with somebody, somebody, at least one person on the face of this globe that you could tell them anything about you. That you would not be afraid to divulge any information about yourself and truly tell them what your fears are, what your dreams are, what's really going on inside of you. That is a healthy relationship. We don't get there with everybody. And I think that's right. I'm not saying you should have this relationship with every single person. There are certain levels of conversation that we have, even when you come into church and you come in the lobby. There are some people that you talk weather about, right? How was the weather today? How's it in your place? How do you like this weather? Don't you like this weather? There's some people that come in and you talk a little, a little more deeply about it. You talk about family. How's your family? How are you doing? How was the sickness? I've been, been praying for this. And how's that going? And tell me, we're interested in that. And then there's some people that you might actually get aside with or later in the week and you cry with them because this is what's burdening you and on your heart. And you're just kind of opening yourself up to them. 
And that's, that's a healthy relationship. It's authentic. It's transparent. Now, technology actually works against authenticity. It works against it. Because in technology, I can kind of hide myself behind a screen. So when we have social media, right, uh, the digital natives are going to laugh at me for this, right? But you have like that Facebook post or whatever the digital natives do, the Instagram, the fill in, fill in, fill in blank, all right? You can actually put up there what you want other people to see about you. And you can actually Photoshop your image and say, here's what I really want them to see. And kind of hide behind a screen a little bit and see how many people like that or enjoy that or follow that or notice that. And maybe from that you get the sense, oh, look, people are really liking me. But in reality, they're liking what you want to show them and your perception, but how many of those people, if you got really transparent and honest, would still follow you? And that's where social media can kind of work against this. It, it works against authenticity. Screen connections kind of engender this artificial aspect about us. There was years ago a commercial, I, I would chuckle whenever I saw it, but it, was, it had something of the saying, help me become the Facebook person I want everybody think, to think me to be, right? And it was talking about send me money so I can become this person that I want everybody to think I am. This is my Facebook profile, right? And that's true. And so when we present carefully crafted images to the world and we say, here's what I really want them to see, and even as adults, when, when we put this on out to the world and say, this is my perfect family, this is my perfect life, and this is always like this, and, and we put that out there, and, and we, we get a thrill when people like that, and they, they, they check that out, okay, I'm not saying don't ever post pictures, but, but what's reality? And do I really have a deeper connection with those people, or am I just putting out there what I want them to see? In that kind of atmosphere where I choose what I portray as broadly as possible, authenticity doesn't flourish. It gets covered up. And so even further, when we have online communication that is texting back and forth or uh, direct messaging, whatever the case may be, it's it's putting up a further barrier to authenticity because that kind of communication is so flat. There's no intonation. You don't know the way that I've said this. You don't know the, the, the facial expressions I've said this with. And you, you've been on that end of things where you have read something that somebody has texted you or emailed you and you got one message because it's so flat and maybe you've gone up and followed up with them and they've said, that's not at all how I meant that to come across. Because you've gotten one level of the message. 
And you cannot replace the face-to-face interaction. So much of what we say is more than just the words I'm using. It's how I'm using them. It's the way I'm saying them. It's my gestures. And that can actually cover true intent or can work against this idea of authenticity. And that is why, and sociologists will say this as well, this isn't just me saying this, that oftentimes digital natives can feel very uncomfortable having face-to-face conversations with people because they feel vulnerable. They can't hide behind that screen anymore. This is what I want you to see. It's kind of like now that's broken down and I've got to look you in the eye. And they're very uncomfortable in those kinds of conversations, so it's back to the screen. Many adults, that's the case as well. This artificial identity that I want to put out kind of evaporates when we're in person. And I feel open and fearful. I don't like that. Good relationships are built on authenticity And that authenticity and transparency really is essential for defeating loneliness. If all I'm putting out is this perception of who I am and people are accepting that, it will never defeat that deep need within me to have somebody accept me just as I am and love me in spite of myself. What is a healthy relationship? It's built on authenticity that I can be Transparent with somebody. Secondly, it's built on commitment. Commitment. Commitment is more than giving a thumbs up. It's more than giving a like on a page or following somebody. Commitment looks like face-to-face interaction that is repeatedly affirmed verbally. I'm committed to you. Nothing you can say or do will ever change that. I'm with you. But also is backed up actively in daily self-sacrifice for the good of another. That's commitment. We live in a world of low commitment. Families are breaking up and falling apart. And we have a whole generation that's raised thinking, what's the use of commitment? It doesn't work anyway and they themselves feel lost and like they'll never be loved and appreciated. How could I ever find anyone that would commit and actually love me? And so it's these two things that that are necessary to defeat loneliness. This transparency and this commitment both are essential and both flourish in face-to-face conversations face-to-face, spending time with one another. Let me give you, before I give you the fourth point, let me just talk to our parents a little bit. And if you have young children that are just being raised, or maybe you have young adult children, uh, let me just encourage you to help your, your children and your young adult children to develop these, these social uh, to, to stretch them socially, to, to fight against this tendency that we all have, all right? What are some good things that you can do just as a family and a family unit to help fight against this kind of encroaching thing? 
Or what could you maybe even do to help another young adult in our assembly that maybe doesn't have this and help them in this regard? One, and this may sound silly, but follow me, all right? Have dinner together. That's rocket science. Fix a meal, sit down at the table, put the phones away, look at each other in the face when you're slurping spaghetti, and talk about what happened today. I'm not patting myself on the back, but this is something that we live by in the Fagan household. We sit down, we have a meal, whatever it may be, and we talk. And for a while there, the talk wasn't flowing, and I tried to, to, to read things during the day and bring up issues to the table. Hey, I read this today. What do you think about this? Hey, did you hear about this? What's your input on it? Just to try to stretch and say, let's have some face-to-face -face conversation and be able to look people in the eye and talk plainly and really share what's on my heart. And I think that that helps to stretch us, all of us, instead of, you know, it's the quick bite to my room or we don't ever eat together and, you know, uh, you text someone upstairs, hey, can you bring this down for me, right? That's, that's essential. That's a simple thing, but it really is essential. You know what? You, you ought to have um, a time of family devotion together. Or whoever's in your household, if it's just you and your wife or, or anyone else in your home, you ought to have a time of family devotion together when, when you're opening God's Word and at least you're reading it and you're saying, let's talk about this. What did we just read? What did you get from that? What does that mean? And let's, let's pray over that. That's stretching, right? I, I find a lot of times that we, we feel uncomfortable talking about spiritual things. Do you know why? That's authenticity. Those are the most personal things about us. And when I find that people can't come into church and talk about those things in the lobby, it's probably because they don't really talk about them at home. Of all people, we should be doing this at home, and when we come here in the church, it's just kind of an overflow of this. And maybe you know of someone in the church, a single person or a young person, and maybe they don't have a family. They've never experienced this. Invite them over. Get them around your dinner table. Let them have family devotions with you. And watch you and hear what you do. And you'd be amazed at how much help you could be in a simple thing like that. Young people are, are digital native people. Interact with people at church not your age. Intentionally. Seek out to interact with people who are 10, 20 years older than you. Just to take an interest in them and figure out where they live and what their orbit is. It'll stretch you. It'll, it'll make you feel probably vulnerable because i got to figure out what to say to somebody that we really have nothing in common with and 
How does that happen? But that would be good. It would be good for you to not be isolated just in your own friend group, but stretch yourself out and love other people that way. And then we all have to learn to develop a healthy relationship. We all have to learn that that our phones, our media, these are not escape mechanisms. That when I'm under stress or I need to unwind, that's my escape. Uh, That's a lousy escape. Oftentimes it'll just create more angst and trouble. We need to find times where we can take a, a media fast, right? We're just kind of away from all that noise, and you can put it away and maybe think deeply about something that you've read or, or pick up a good book and spend some time in that for a little while. That would help just on a personal level. And then we need to demonstrate genuine commitment to each other. Commitment in our homes, commitment to one another as a body of Christ. Um, I've not always been great at this. Um, I've tried to, as, as a father, though, when there was issues with our kids, I would try to say something like, I love you, that'll never change. There's nothing you can do or say that would ever turn me away from you. So tell me what's on your heart. Tell me what's going on. And just that little affirmation of our relationship is rock solid. Nothing will ever change that. And there's nothing you can say that that the weight of our relationship can't bear. But we all need that with somebody, in our homes at least. And we all need that, that kind of commitment engenders transparency that goes deep in relationship and defeats loneliness. That's where we need to be. You say, well, that sounds kind of scary. And that sounds like, you know, uh, what if people don't like what they see? what What if they hurt me because I am transparent? Well, there's a risk, certainly. If you don't risk, you'll never find the reward. Would you rather be lonely? Okay. Finally, I want you to note this. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. You say, this is scary. Transparency and face-to-face with people and just trying to deal with this. Well, here's a reason why we can do this and why we must do this, and why none of us should ever feel truly lonely. Hebrews chapter 4, look at verse 13. Hebrews 4, 13, speaking of God, it says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. How does that make you feel? You are entirely vulnerable and exposed to the eyes of God. You don't hide anything from Him. You can't hide behind a screen. He reads right past your Insta post. How does that make you feel? Vulnerable. 
But look at what he says, verse 14. Right on the heels of that. Since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Our weaknesses. All those weaknesses that he sees were exposed to him in in verse 13. Jesus understands those. He lived the life of a human. He says he was in every respect tempted as we are, but he didn't sin. Therefore, look at verse 16. Let us then with what? Confidence come to God. If I live in verse 13, I am running and cowering from God. Verse 16 says, no, you come to him with confidence. Why? Because I am fully accepted in Christ. And not only that, but he sympathizes with me and he understands. Because I am in Christ, I am fully loved by this God who knows me inside and out. And that will never change. So be confident. And that brings us to this. We must know that our settled relationship with Christ provides a framework for our relationship with others. Because I have a settled relationship through Christ with God. His love for me is unchanging. That will never change. It gives me the comfort. It gives me the, the, the uh, internal fortitude, as it were, that I need then to be able to share that with other people. Because I am loved and confident in God's love for me. Therefore, I can now show other people that kind of love and commitment. This is the framework for our relationship with others. We can work at authenticity and commitment and show ourselves to be vulnerable because we ourselves are secure in Christ. All right. Well, tonight, I just, I just hope that gives you maybe a few things to think about, something to chew on. I've been thinking about that a lot over the last few months, and just how God wants us to use these things, uh, but also be aware of them, and how God would, would enable us as believing people to help lonely people, no doubt, among our congregation maybe to seek them out and try to help them in this way as well. Okay? All right. Let's sing.